0: been a joy to be here this morning appreciate everybody that's here today and like brother Scott there's a few missing but we're uh, two or three are gathered together in his name he'll be here in the midst of us and I'm thankful for that even if I'm all alone somewhere the Lord's with me and I'm glad of that I'm glad to know that uh, he was willing to take my place uh, unworthy one is me well if you have your copy of God's word if you turn to the the epistle of 1 John 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to look at one verse this morning, Lord willing. Uh, We'll look at several other verses, but our opening text, 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 12, and when you get there, if you're able to stand, would you please stand for the reading of God's word this morning, 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven, you for his name's sake. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much, Lord, for the reading of your word today. I thank you for all the songs that's been sang and all the the spirit that's here, God, and just the fellowship and, Lord, the love that we know that you have for us, God. We're asking now that you help us as we try to preach. Lord, keep my tongue from stammering, Lord, and, and Lord, may your word do a mighty work in our hearts today, and we'll give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. I thought... uh, this morning when uh, Brother David said turn to First John, he done, took my text, but he was in the next chapter. But uh, it's wonderful how the Lord works that way. A lot of times we find the Lord uh, dealing with us in, in uh, the same places, on the same thoughts, uh, whether it be in Sunday school or, or in the service or whatever. But uh, uh, it is good to, to know how the Lord works. But uh, here in First John, uh, this book is written to save people. Now the Gospel of John is written so those could know Christ and and be saved, but the epistles of First, Second, Third John are all written to save people, so that we may know that we are saved. And so I, I like how that works. But back in uh, 1987, Mary and I had been married for two years, and she had a uh, a Plymouth Turismo she bought brand new. I don't know if y'all remember those or not. They a uh, little 2.2 motor in them, little Dodge product Plymouth uh It was a real nice looking little car uh, but in uh after she she bought it in eighty four but in eighty seven I was driving it by myself and it had been rain it had been dry for a long time, and it had rained that day and so the the roads were real slick you know how they get that oil on top of them after they've not rained a while The roads were real slick, and I was driving down Taswell Pike and i don 't know if you know where this is at, but where the the IGA, IGA is right now uh used to be Harveston's Auto Parts right there. But I was going right down through there in that little car, and I guess I, I wasn't paying attention. Because when I looked up, there was a 72 Chevelle dead-stopped in the middle of Tazzle Pike. He was going to turn left, and I was behind him. I hit those brakes on that car, and you would have thought there was ice on the road. And it slid, and uh, it, I wasn't going very fast, but it felt like I was going at least 100 when I hit the back of that uh, Chevelle. Uh, He had a license plate on the back that had a spring on it, and that license plate flipped down. The spring broke. But our car, the windshield, uh, or the the hood of the car cremated all the way up to the windshield. The front bumper, everything, just, I mean, it it totally destroyed that car. And uh, uh, they called the State Trooper. State Trooper was the one over that area on Tazzle Pike. And he asked me some questions. I was only 21 years old at the time. And uh, he was asking questions, and he apparently thought I was a smart aleck. And he said, have you been drinking? And I said, yes, sir, I've been drinking Dr. Pepper. And that made him mad. And uh, he he started getting really angry with me. And so he wrote me a ticket. And he wrote me a ticket for following too close. Now, whether I was or not, I don't know. I don't think I was, but I, I guess my eyes weren't on the road at the time when I hit the brakes. But down at the bottom of those tickets, there's an option that the, the police officer can, can check that, that says... Must appear in court. He checked that, I guess because he, he hated my guts at that point. But he checked that little box, and I had never been in court all my life. I've never been there. I saw it on TV. Uh, I, my grandma used to watch Perry Mason. I used to watch it then. But I'd never been in court, and I was a nervous wreck. And, and the court date was, was several weeks away. And so it gave me enough time to be as nervous as I could be about it. And uh, I didn't have much money. I mean, we I was only working minimum wage. I think I was making $3.35 an hour. We were poor as church mice, and uh, so we started saving up money. We didn't know what it was going to cost us. We assumed the ticket was going to be a lot. And I managed to scrape together $250. And it had come time for my court date. And uh, I took Mama with me and, and Mary. We, we went to the court down in, in Knoxville, the one downtown. And I go in there, and, and the courtroom's filled up. These people all over the place. And the judge, one by one, was calling people to the to the front. They would call them up there, and he would read this uh, their verdict there, and he would fine them. And, you know, he'd, he'd slide that gavel down. You know, two hundred dollar fine, you know, three hundred dollar fine. Going on, sentencing people. And I was sitting there the whole time. I, boy, I was nervous wrecked. My knees were knocking. You know, I was I was shaking. I was white as a ghost. And he called my name, Baron Chesney. <laughs> Here I go up there, you know, I'm walking up there, and I'm standing, and he's like, and he says, uh, so you have, uh, char- you were charged with following too close, is, is what this says. And uh, I said, yes, sir. And he said, do you have insurance? And I said, yes, sir. He said, did your insurance pay for everything? I said, yes, it did. And he took that thing and slapped it down. He said, case dismissed. And I was like, excuse me, case dismissed, you're free to go. In other words, I received his grace and mercy that day. I was charged with following too close. I was guilty, I guess, according to the eyes of the law. I was guilty for that crime that I committed by following too close. But that judge took it upon himself to dismiss my case. And that's exactly what he said, case dismissed. So I walked out of there. I had to pay the court costs. I think it was like $20 or something like that on my way out. But I didn't have to pay a dime for that, and it was like I had never committed a crime at all. Case dismissed. wiped from my record. Now, he didn't say you did nothing wrong. He didn't say I'm going to let you go with a warning. No, he just said case dismissed. Final. That's it. In other words, it was grace and mercy. Now, the truth is, we find ourselves a lot of times in situations where we don't deserve grace or mercy, but we find ourselves in situations where we've messed up. We've done things, maybe it was by accident, maybe it's on purpose, I don't know. Maybe it's our our flesh that caused us to do something. And uh, we deserve some kind of punishment or a penalty for what we've done. We're guilty. Um, Whether it was intentional or accidental, there are repercussions for actions that we take. Well, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What that means is, if you close your eyes in death without being saved and you come before God, you were not, you're were you not worthy to stand there before him and you're separated from him. And so there has to be some kind of reconciliation if you're going to ever stand before God and be righteous in his eyes. Now, here in our opening text, the human and the apostle John, he's writing, as I said, a letter to Christians. This An epistle is a letter. That's what it is. It's a letter to, to save people. Now, um... This little five chapter book is is just wonderful it's filled full of doctrine and theology and information for us to know about how how we know that we're saved and and how we're to behave now James gets even uh, you know on us even more about how to behave but but first uh, John is really packed full of these great truths. Uh, if you back up to the beginning of the chapter, you'll find one of the most assuring passages for us as a Christian. Look at that first John two verses one and two. It says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, aren't you glad those verses are in there this morning? What if those were not there? What if we had no uh, help at all? What if when we sinned, that was it? Uh, but no, the Bible says that we have a help there. We have an advocate, an advocate. That means somebody that's for you. He's for you. He's not against you. And listen, if anybody needs an advocate today, it's me. I feel like sometimes I'm competing with the Apostle Paul, who said this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 16. He's writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy, and he says, I thank God, or I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is faith a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, here he says, of whom I am chief." Make sure you understand that. He said, I am chief. He didn't say, I used to be chief. He didn't say, I was chief. He didn't say, a long time ago, I was chief of sinners. He said, in which I am chief. In other words, present tense. The apostle Paul, the great apostle Paul, one of the greatest teachers ever to live, one of the greatest men of God, and he says, I am chief. Verse 16, Howbeit, For this cause I obtain mercy, that in me, first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Listen, if you'll be totally honest with yourself this morning, you too can say along with me that you feel like sometimes you're the chief of sinners. Now we know when we sin. If the Holy Spirit lives in your heart, you know exactly when you sin. It's not an accident. I mean, sometimes we we get pulled into things that causes us to sin, but when we sin, we're sinning against God. Uh, we may never have pulled people out of their homes like the Apostle Paul did and, you know, uh, have them stoned or uh, committed to prison or anything like that, but we have allowed such sin into our heart this morning that uh, if anybody could see inside of your mind and know exactly what you've done and, and the thoughts you've thought, the sins that you've concocted up in your head, if we could put those somehow on the wall, maybe hook up some wires, and they could probably do that these days. I don't know, one day they will, if they can't now. Hook up some kind of wires and project every thought out of your head upon that wall. And if everybody in this church saw that, you would run out of here and you'd never come back. You'd be so ashamed of yourself. You'd never step foot in the church again. You would never look at one of these people in this building again if they knew what was in your head. If they knew the sins that you thought about. We're all in the same boat. But thank God that Christ came into this world to save sinners of whom we are chief. And because of this, we can obtain mercy. Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world, John the Baptist said, he take away the sin of the world. I am glad to know that we can obtain mercy. Go back and read again there in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not, And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, there's a couple of big words in that text right there that some people want to get confused on. That word advocate, as we've already mentioned, it comes from a, a Greek word, parakletos. Now, I'm not one of these guys that get up and say, you must know the Greek and all that. No, you need you need your King James Bible that's already been translated for us in English, and that's all we need as English-speaking people because it's very clear But that word right there, it means to come alongside of, to provide aid to, to be an intercessor, to plead the cause of. That's what this advocate means. In other words, there's somebody working on your behalf. They've got interest in you. And so everything they do is for you, not against you. Now I've heard some say that, you know, well, Jesus is like a lawyer. He's a a Jewish lawyer. There's even a song out there that, one group sings about Jesus, the lawyer, uh, because he pleads our case. Well, listen, I, I believe you could probably say that in a way, but Jesus is much more than a lawyer, much, much more. A lawyer will plead the case of anyone with the right amount of money, whether guilty or not guilty. A lawyer, as long as you pay him, he's going he's to gonna fight on your behalf as long as you're writing a check or giving him money. That's what most lawyers do because they don't have a personal interest invested in you now if you're paying them they do and as long as you're paying them that's fine but there i've never heard of any logger on this earth who has ever hung on a cross to save you from your sins i've never heard that have anybody heard that i've never heard that but jesus christ hung on the cross to save you from your sin because he's your advocate he's for you he's got personal interest in you therefore he's much more than a lawyer He's our advocate, our comforter, our intercessor, our redeemer. But even more than that, it says right up there in that verse, he is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation, it's a little harder to find, but when you get a hold of what it means, it mean, it'll, it'll overwhelm you with joy and amazement. In a nutshell, it means Christ substituted himself in your place to appease the wrath of God because of your sins. That's what that word really, in a roundabout way, means. It's a propitiation. So Christ took your place, as we just sung that song, he took your place and, to pre- appease the wrath of God who hates sin and who will pour out his wrath on sin, who, by the way, created hell because of sin to cast the devil in there and his demons, and it enlarges itself daily. Why? Because sinners are dropping off into hell daily. And so Christ come up and he stood in your place. And it was all planned by God. All this was planned by him. How do we know that? Well, Romans 3 and 23 through 25 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth, here he says it, to be a propitiation through faith in Christ. His blood, His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, through the forbearance of God. (laughs) Wow. I mean, think about that a minute. When we stand before God, and we will all stand before God, by the way, everyone will appear before the Lord. Uh, In Hebrews 4 and 13, the Bible says, Neither is there any creature... That is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. There's not a single thing that you can do that that escapes God's all seeing eye. Everything, every thought in your mind, every every, every evil thought in in the recesses of your heart, God's there and knows it. Romans 14, 11 through 12 says, For it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. You better believe one day we're going to stand before God. But when we stand before him, and by the way, he knows all the sins we've committed. There's none that you've hid from him. You've not got some that you've hid from everybody else that you think God can't see. He sees that too. But all the sins of our entire lifetime, knowing that by all rights we're guilty, we're worthy of death, we're worthy of punishment in a lake of fire. We ought to be in hell with our backs broke because of the sins in our life. But if we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, you know what? He don't go and look back at those sins. Those sins have been cleared Those sins have been forgiven. Those sins have been blotted out. Those sins are gone, never to be remembered anymore. And so when we stand before God, he don't look at our sins if you're saved. He looks back at the cross where Christ nailed those sins to that cross. And by the way, that's what he's done with them. He nailed our sins to the cross. And you know what what God can say? Not guilty. Case dismissed. Case dismissed. How do we know that in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15? The Bible says, And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross." And having spooled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Those principalities and powers, those are demonic things. Those are evil things. That is those sinful things. And it says that he he went over those. He 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 uh, showed over them openly, triumphing over them. You see, the devil thought that he defeated Christ when Christ was hung on the cross, but no, he did not. Christ triumphed over that. And so the truth is, Every human being on the face of this earth has a debt to pay for the sins that we've committed. We've committed them against God. It's just like a a legal document that has our name written on it with words, debtor to sin. Penalty, death. That's what we all ought to have is a death certificate saying that we're going to pay for our sins. We're a debtor to it. But what does Jesus do? He takes that note of debt. And in the old days, they used to take a debt note. And once it was paid in full, they would they would nail it up behind them up there, paid in full. And that's what Christ has done with your sin. He's nailed them up, paid in full. This one's done. We don't go back and look at his his death certificate. We don't go back and look at the debt note against him. It's no more to be remembered. No more to be brought up. Our slate's been wiped clean. Our record expunged. Our note's been paid Isn't that wonderful? What if you were constantly carrying around this this death notice because of your sin? You know, people all over this earth are doing that. People that are not saved have a death notice. They're they're dead men walking. You've heard that phrase before. They talk about those those men walking to their, their death sentence in prison. A dead man walking. Friends, everybody that's not saved today is a dead man or a dead woman walking. They've got a death notice that says guilty. Guilty for sin. Sin must be punished. But because of Christ, they don't have to be. Because of Christ, I'm not. I don't have a debt anymore to sin. Why? Because Christ took it. What did He do? He said, Shh, on the cross. It's paid, paid in full. So He nails these sins, these debts, to the cross, and uh, we don't have to worry about them anymore. You know, that little ticket that I got for falling too close is nothing compared to the penalty that awaits for those in sin, that awaits for those who have not trusted the Lord Jesus as their Savior. All oh, friends, <laughs> Jesus is the sinless one who, who took sin upon himself, the sin of the entire world when he hung on the cross. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If you you notice, when we read earlier, I kept emphasizing his righteousness, his blood. All these things were done in him. And so when God looks at us, he don't see us really. He sees his son, his son's blood applied to our hearts. So He don't see the sin, the sinner that we once were. But if we've been saved, he sees his son. He sees the blood of Calvary on our hearts. Case dismissed. So when Christ nailed those sins of the cross, it's the same as the judge looking at you and saying, case dismissed. He didn't say you used to be a sinner. You used to be guilty. You used to do this or that. But he says, gone. Wiped out. Clean. Listen, there's not a greater feeling in the world than to know that you've been set free. Do you know those that's not been saved are prisoners as well? They're prisoners, just like they've got a ball and chain wrapped around their ankle, and they're dragging it all over the place. I can, I can just see it in my mind's eye. Sometimes I'll, I'll sit and think about the, the condition of the world and the sin that's out there, and the people that are unsaved, and how they're just walking around like dead people with balls and chains on their ankles, just walking around. They don't even realize it sometimes, and they look at us and say, "Ha ha, you idiot!" You know, and there they are, dead men walking, dragging those chains around, and they don't even understand that they're in bondage. Oh, friends, there's going to be a day if they've not trusted the Lord, if they've never heard the gospel, if they've never placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they're going to have to pay for these sins. And 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 when they come before God, that's not a time of, of pleading a case at that time. You close your eyes in death. When you stand before God, if, if you've not been saved, you don't get to go in front of Him and plead your case. It doesn't work that way. You're already guilty. It's already done. All he's doing then is sentencing, making your sentence. You're going to go to hell, to the deepest portion of hell for these sins. It's not a time where you can say, now listen, if I do this or that, you know, the Roman Catholics think they can go to a place called purgatory and work their way out of there, work their way into heaven. Their family can go and pay off a priest. They can go and, and say this many you know, prayers or whatever and get forgiven for it. And then after they've died, they can still go to heaven if they get out of purgatory. Purgatory is not in the Bible. And I know I I say this a lot of times, but if you've ever knocked on the door of a Roman Catholic and you've asked them about that and they say, well, purgatory. And then when you you go up with their Bible and you say, find me purgatory in my Bible. Where is it at? Where is it at in the Bible? Well, it's in our Bible. Oh, you mean those books you've added in there. Those things you've added into the Catholic Bible. Yeah, that's not in the real Bible. And so they're, they're clinging to the hope that they're going to go to a place where their their friends and their family is going to go up to the priest and pray and and offer these prayers and light these candles and and stand there and 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 dip their fingers in water and splash it on their face and and go up to the little man behind a piece of lattice in a little box you know and and, and confess their sins and talk about oh I'm praying for my father I'm praying for my son I'm praying for my my mother that's down in purgatory oh if they can just get out and and he'll tell them they can do this penance or that penance and and you know pay this amount of money money or whatever it is and and they can get those those people out of there friends that's hellish that's hellish belief there's no little man in a box that can that can pray on your behalf he's not your advocate he's not the one that does propitiation for your sins